welcome everyone to the Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions. The Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 101, Snow Gives Way, is brought to you by Cirque de Psychopath. Step right up and see our fabulous new taxi flipper. Pete, before we jump on in to recapping the episode, I just want to share an observation. Considering, Pete, that the claim has been made that this is a no-no show, that this will single-handedly bring down the superhero genre, that it'll be nothing but a dramatic narrative train wreck, I gotta say, I enjoyed myself in this first episode. I have been sitting on these for a little bit longer. Um, you, you may tell from my voice, I'm a little tired. I have finished, uh, Iron Fist season one. No, no, um, no spoilers, Pete. That's how we no roll. Spoilers. No spoilers. There, there'll be no spoilers, even from spoiler Pete, only what's in this episode. Um, I gotta say seriously looking forward to how all four of our defenders now will team up in that miniseries. Well, with that, Pete, let's jump on in. Time to step inside the dojo and deconstruct this episode. Matt, we begin after the title card with uh, a barefoot Danny on the streets of New York City, something we saw five months ago in New York Comic Con. Yeah, it was nice that uh, as we see Danny all bedraggled and barefoot, uh, indeed, I, I had no idea, Pete, that they were showing us a scene from the first episode. Uh, by the end of this episode, I would be surprised to learn that they showed us footage from future episodes. So I, as spoiler-free Matt, am a little conflicted, but I digress. There he is, Pete, walking down the street, old-school iPod uh, in hand, and uh, of course we have the indignant New Yorker who uh, just doesn't believe that that's Danny Rand's building. Yeah, you know, you you should uh, get yourself some shoes there, uh, the guy who's who's uh, selling the peanut almond. But uh, no sooner heading into the Rand Enterprises building, into the lobby, uh, I guess June doesn't work here anymore, whoever that was, doesn't matter, um, looking to see Harold Meacham, and the receptionist says, sorry, that's not possible, and something that many of us watching this think, oh, all right, he's, he's asking to speak to the, to the head of the company. Of course, that's not going to happen, this barefooted, uh, bedraggled man off the street. He's been away a long time, he says, but he's Danny Rand, the son of Wendell. Um, hang on just one second. So, somebody will be, be right along. Uh, and as Danny, who notes he used to ride a skateboard around in the hallway there, he heads over to the interactive display, which, you know, it, it never fails, Matt, when we've seen these episodes that Marvel uh, head of TV Jeff Loeb uh, labels wet. They're, they're not quite done with effects. The, the effect on the, the interactive table there wasn't quite complete. We saw some of it, but what we didn't see beyond the satellite imagery and you know, big pharma and everything else that the RAND enterprises are apparently diversified into. We didn't see Wendell and Harold there side by side, smiley, before the security guards came to escort Danny out. Amidst all this, by the way, I just want to point out we have some easy exposition as we ease ourselves into the narrative. I know you hit upon it, Pete, but just I want to highlight how the story is making it clear. He is Danny Rand, relationship to father, who he doesn't expect to be there, uh, relationship to Harold Meacham, the whole the whole uh, wonderful lobby display also giving us some backstory, or at least, well, whether it's back, backstory in the past or backstory in the present for the current state of the Meacham family. Uh, so the first of many examples of easy exposition. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that as we move forward. Uh, but sure enough, Pete, security boots him, despite him saying he needs to uh, to talk to Harold. 
and uh, pretty quickly we have a smooth fight screen unfolding. To me, Pete, the most prominent part was just how just how easily he fights. There's minimal efforts on defense. It's a lot of that duck out of the way and twist the arm that has just come your way, that kind of thing. Not a lot of big bruiser blows, at least initially. Evasive, easy fighting style that we see early on here after he deals with the first two guys with, uh, again, minimal movements. He takes out the two that have batons before he uses one of their batons uh, to pry up against the glass. And he heads on up the elevator, uh, pinches the uh, key card that a woman uses in the elevator, almost seemed from the blocking there quickly. Um, and it might have just been the way it was shot too. Thought he made himself invisible based on her lack of <laughs> of notice of him. But mm. uh, after she has uh, pushed the 44th floor, he's able to scan the card and push the 45th button as he shifts his backpack there. He arrives on the 45th floor, and we see a slick-haired Ward. No, no, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans, not Grant Ward. Ward Meacham. Um, but kind of in that, I don't know, son of the son of the, the, the boss man, slick-haired, questionable type. Anyhow, slick-haired Ward is incredulous to see Danny, as is Joy, his sister. They try, try to call security. Pete, why isn't security picking up? Because they're all unconscious in the lobby. Uh, regardless though, Danny continues to stress that it really is actually him. It really is actually Danny. Ward is instantly unlikable, even as Joy shows flashes of recognition and perhaps at the very least flashes of a slightly slower pace. Uh, Ward is super quick to close the space between himself and Danny, showing that he's ready to attack. Um, he says that Harold is dead, which... Pete, it came as a surprise to me to hear that Harold was dead, considering, uh, y- you know, I saw the guy up there at New York Comic Con. <laughs> Twist. And, and in the lobby, although that wouldn't make it any different than seeing uh, Wendell Rand alive. Um, and, of course, you know, midway to three quarters of the way through this episode, we're beginning to question that before, of course, we see Harold Meacham is indeed alive. Um, but... This is a situation where, uh, you know, all things being equal, um, Danny says he wants to talk to them now, uh, that since their parents are all gone now, they should, uh, they should just talk. We'll go over to the stage deli. We'll get a cup of tea. Of course, that deli's been closed for years, Matt, because that's what we do when you have uh, the the little boy who comes back years later, those are the tropes you play with. So that's to be expected. But uh, Ward points out he's insane if he thinks they're going to have a cup of tea. Danny Rand is dead. You need to calm down. You need to back off all this other stuff. And then um, Danny quickly uh, lunges towards Joy. With all this going on, it nonetheless does not take too long for uh, security to come in with guns drawn and take him away. No uh, repeat of a fight here quite yet. And uh, with with uh, Danny now gone, Joy says, it's weird. Danny Rand and his parents died 15 years ago. Easy exposition. Uh, <laughs> but he does look like Danny Rand. Dan- Danny Rand. That's weird, right? It's um, totes real and weird. In the elevator, I, I like how the show plays this this um, visual hiccup uh, mm-hmm. both ways. Danny is either having a mental or a mystical episode. Uh, regardless, the nar- narrative flashes back all too briefly to the interior of a plane about to crash. Back in the elevator, though, it's clear that Danny is not fully okay. He is shaking. He's trying to maintain control. His efforts to calm himself seem to work. But it's the first time of a couple of times in this episode where it's clear that this all cool, all calm, all knowing guy uh, has some cracks. I want to add, you know, I like what you say about uh, whether it's stylistic or he's he's having a uh, an episode. I like it's comic-y uh, addition 
to the show, something we've not seen on these other Defenders TV shows heading in and almost feels like it's something that would show up in the panel of a comic book. And, you know, the PTSD of the plane crash, he's holding his his right temple, he's able to stave it off. I love the line with uh, the guard we come to know as Shannon there. You know, uh, Danny tells him he's okay. <laughs> He doesn't. He doesn't give an s that uh, that uh, that guard right there, and uh, we we eventually uh, find our way to a, a five s episode. Matt, longtime listeners of Fantastic Geek uh, Netflix shows will know. Um, I keep count. <laughs> well, speaking of keeping count. Danny ends up out on the street and finds himself at 19 Gramercy Park. Pete, I have to say, looks a little like Fantastic Geek HQ, but I digress. Uh, he rings the bell. No answer there, but also finds a hidden key above the door. It seems like it does, or it's clear it doesn't work. Kind of had me wondering why then show it. I guess that's probably just to communicate to the audience he knows the ins and outs here without and him saying it, to himself, I know the ins and outs too. here. <laughs> What's that? Why put it back to <laughs> maybe habit? Um, frankly, though, it looks like he's caging the joint. Uh, a few sweet, sweet jumps later, he's up from the fence to the window frame on the second story. He enters a luxurious room. There are pictures of Harold Meacham along with Ward and Joy. But wait, wasn't this Rand's home once upon a time? A little, a little um, unclear here, I think, intentionally so. That's when it's revealed, Pete, that there's a guard dog in the house. It is barking. It looks vicious. Uh, however, Danny focuses or meditates on it, and the dog lays down. Um, with that, Pete, we get some more easy exposition, courtesy of The Wall. We have photos there of uh, Ward and Joy toasting with champagne in addition to vacation photos of both families and a Columbia university law school diploma with uh joy's name on it there matt do you know anybody else who graduated columbia law school um well pete i know i know a couple of lawyers in the marvel netflix world could that by any chance be uh matt murdoch and uh, uh foggy nelson it would be those same avocados at law from uh the daredevil show so uh don't be surprised if maybe that happens at some point I'm not saying it does um but uh we get the voiceover here as uh danny heads to the rooftop of a monopoly game being played <clears throat> via flashback from their youth where uh joy's playing along and uh danny has um Ward land on Kentucky Avenue demanding $250. He instead gets nothing. Why? Because he doesn't follow the rules. Because he doesn't want to. Because his dad says, Matt, that uh, rules are for people who are not quite tough. Not that they grab people where they're not quite tough, though. Oh, goodness, Pete. I, so many things. I'll, I'll let the second one just float there into ether. But the first one, I have a question for you. Did you hear about the time that people uh, had a happy Monopoly game? Not really, no. <laughs> Neither did I. Um, certainly the function of the scene here to punctuate how Ward is absolutely the older bully um, and, uh, and Joy perhaps a bit sympathetic, particularly Pete. It is just a kid's game. It's not like they're, you know, it's not like they're actually real estate magnets here that uh that that you know can decide such things so so callously um very interesting here though also ward is quick to berate danny for being saved by his parents or at least his parents returning um also quick to berate him for being loved by his parents uh ward uh tells the rands that danny is being a problem again so Certainly a rich scene in terms of uh, establishing some story stuff for us. And just the vibe off of Ward kicking Danny prior to the, the parents showing up later revealed that he would constantly kick Danny in the crotch. 
Um, we have no love for this twerp, at least not yet, Matt. Back in the uh, in the present day, Joy comes home and Danny presumably vamooshes. Uh, indeed, Pete, we see him taking refuge in a park at night. Uh, he listens to his music on his ancient iPod, and uh, he begins to read what appears to be a dog-eared Asian text. Yes, and it's at this point that a gentleman comes on over to him. Um, didn't mean to spook him. Danny points out, as we already know, he doesn't spook easily, but introduces himself as Big Al. Not seen Danny around before. Uh, that's because he's been away for a while. Um, he's kind of a traveler, you know, but he points out that he likes his uh, iPod. He's got an iPhone, Big Al does. You know, you can look up anything, Matt, on the internets. You can, and uh, you can also apparently look up things in New York at uh, 10.22 a.m., even though it's at night and the phone is being powered by a foreign cell provider. Um, or they took a screenshot or created a fake thing. I don't know. It was. Don't use an iPhone if it's not going to follow the rules of iPhone, like show you the normal time but i digress um he looks up big al does by the way big al perhaps a uh, reference to big al bondigas from earth 9047 a deep deep comic cut there uh regardless though um he he, he looks up danny rand and uh looks like he, he's dead harold meacham is looked up and he's he's actually dead too and pete this is where i wasn't quite sure if i remembered the new york comic-con panel for uh iron fist properly because i know i saw faramir up there and now they're saying faramir is dead if maybe you're referring to the one-eyed uh warrior uh storyteller from 300 then i get who you're talking about but nonetheless we'll get to the great david wenham in a little bit uh, but notice that these clips, Matt, courtesy, of course, of that intrepid, uh, dogged, uh, journalistic, uh, how do I want to put this? Uh, not, a, not a dinosaur, but in the best possible way, the, the New York Bulletin, uh, of course, with journalists like uh, Ellison and uh, the deceased Ben Urich. But uh, the, the second clip that uh, Meacham died at 41, big funeral, the mayor was there and everything, okay? And Big Al pointing out, you know, if you need shoes, you can head over to that uh, uh, shelter on East 13th. Just make sure you pee in them, you know, get that bad juju out. Unless, of course, you've got the blood of a she-goat, but they're not found so easily around here. Danny chuckles and notes that Al thinks he and Danny are alike, which is kind of news to us because it certainly looks like they're alike enough. Uh, the story moves to the next morning where Danny confronts Joy at her house, formerly his house. Uh, he gives personal details and she still doesn't believe him. After all, anyone could look that stuff up on the internet. Thanks, internet. Uh, she tells him the legal consequences of continuing Pete that is the story rather nicely hammering home the fact that she has a law background. Um, say what you want and we'll see how future episodes unfold. But this, this episode does a nice job of slowly unfolding all this stuff and making sure the audience is clear on everyone's story orientations. You know, she's the lawyer, she's a little more sympathetic, so on and so forth. Regardless though, uh, this is also a chance for her to not just show her smarts, but to tell him that, she has texted her driver. The driver is on the way. And uh, if Danny doesn't wrap this up, the driver is going to presumably give him a knuckle sandwich, Pete. That is, of course, assuming he doesn't get hit by a cab first. Well, earlier it had been an issue in uh, Rand Enterprises building that there was concern if he was arrested, Ward pointed out, he'd be back on the street. No, you enter this building again, we're going to take it as a threat and we will have our private security deal with you accordingly. Joy is quick to point out here that she'll have the driver detain him. He'll be arrested. He'll be, a ch be charged with uh, malicious harassment. 
And it's at this point that Daniel Thomas Rand, uh, who was born April 1st in Manhattan, who played on the Bombers goalie, although it seemed like there's a little bit of an age difference given that flashback before between the two children. But I digress there. Uh, He steps out onto the street and flips right over that taxi. Yeah, pretty sweet shot. And then Pete followed by a shot of an eagle or something flying (laughs) over the city, looking forward to a tenuous connection to the end of the episode and probably explored in future episodes. But in this moment and in this episode, it's the shot of an eagle or something. Um, We see Danny practicing meditation on the uh, the side of the street. Uh, He's dropped a dollar by a passerby. Hey, Pete, that's that pilot from the star wars movie uh also the person who was receiving profuse praise from the uh the stunt people at new york comic-con wait a minute for this very show pete yes the the wonderful the luminous jessica hennick playing colleen wing who we quickly find out here is posting the flyers a do-gooder of sorts as well had put a little cash in the uh, the cup as Danny was performing his Tai Chi. However, he doesn't want it. And uh, he suddenly starts speaking Mandarin with her. Um, she protests that he either speak Japanese or English. Hasn't spoken Mandarin since she was a child. Hmm. All of this, Pete, continued easy exposition. This is around the point where I was like, all right, you're kind of spoon feeding us the easy exposition here um but nonetheless introduction of the character her her orientation in the story is clear the martial arts studio sympathetic uh intelligent multilingual and so on and so forth danny multilingual as well meanwhile at stately meacham tower pete the tower you might call it um a, a big black edifice perhaps to a man of of uh small heart i don't know joy explains that she was harassed kind of by by danny ward calls for more private security uh he also passes off danny's jump as the oddities of a homeless acrobat ah new york pete where on one street corner you might have somebody from the, the the finest symphonies of the world playing and across the street from them somebody playing a, a bucket and it's all just the, the 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 wonderful the wonderful noise that is new york but amidst jibes of uh insane homeless acrobats we have the idea here floated for the first time by joy you know and it's crazy but could we just talk to him and ward notes that uh We can't get emotional here. Yes, it's the idea that we lost a friend, but the timing cannot be coincidental. Uh, Right when we're about to announce our expansion into China, uh, that that he walks in here potentially owning 51% of the company. Uh, She notes the perception would be there's a leadership struggle, that there's uh, somebody, their competition, anybody looking to scuttle those deals. Um, So they're going to sit tight for now, but see what they can do to figure this out. Pete, I have a question, I guess, to you, certainly to our audience members. Here's my understanding of the situation that, uh, that Ward just described. Here's my layperson understanding. I'm no Columbia lawyer, but surely Danny Rand is legally dead. And at least from what I know from TV and whatnot, the the mechanism of legal death in lieu of a in lieu of a body and whatnot is there to be able to move on. So I'm sure there must be cases of somebody who is legally dead returning, and I need to reverse things. But I have a little bit of a hard time this idea of surely he's legally dead. Fine, he would have had 51, percent but legally now he doesn't. So. I mean, not for nothing. It's the court system. It's not like he's going to suddenly show up and they're going to say, "Oh, it's you." All right, redo the, uh, you know, redo the 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 org chart at the company here. Um, I just felt like there was a little extra 
a little extra foot on the gas pedal here when when there must be some legal slowdown. There is, and you know, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but I, I think that's that's something that will be addressed. But the idea between the two of them in terms of this conversation, bringing up the the Chinese expansion for the first time and, and kind of linking their world to some of the things, if you've watched these other Defenders shows that we're aware of going on, again, principally Daredevil. Day turns to night and Ward's BMW is brought up from lower in the garage uh, Danny hops in in the driver's seat, and for some crazy reason, so does Ward. Side note, I'd hate to be the parking attendant who just kind of stood there, mouth open. I uh, don't know that you're going to have a job come morning, but hey. Um, Ward pulls a gun, and Danny asks for the gun to be put away. He seems to be showing true aggravation for the first time. Uh, Ward's response is to take the safety off. Uh, those Wards and their, their guns, Pete. Um, but Danny quickly takes the gun. And uh, Ward says that he'll never get the money. However, Danny simply wants answers. Answers about what happened to the family, to the money. And he says, Ward does. They'll tell him everything he knows. That uh, Wendell, wife Heather, Danny died in a plane crash in uh, the Himalayas. Sometimes pronounced Himalayas if you're Brad Pitt in the movie Seven Years in Tibet. But the plane was never found. Neither were the bodies. That's all he knows. Uh, of course, it's all he knows because he was 15 when they died. Why would he know more, Matt? <laughs> the word if doth protest too much. Um, he also mentions that there's this idea that, uh, or at least between the two of them, this discussion that uh, can Danny give DNA? No, he can't because there's no living relatives. Nor can he share his fingerprints because uh, he never gave them as a kid. And to that latter point, Pete, uh, some baloney and then some counter baloney. Um, Wait, baloney that you pulled right off of the counter that's already been cut? Something like that. <laughs> um, I had said on Twitter this morning, when a baby is born, they take a footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least there's that. I don't know if footprints change, but at least there's that as a beginning. Footprints uh, somebody responded, are as unique as fingerprints. Uh, it's just not as, uh, shall we say common that uh people are rolling their feet around and uh doing the ink there but it's certainly another means of identification now somebody replied on twitter and said that she had not had her foot fingerprint foot foot printed um however her husband who is two years older had so maybe it's a town by town thing uh i kind of have a hard time believing that if danny was born in new york that that wouldn't be footprinted uh, at least a baby wouldn't be, regardless. Especially as- a child post-Lindbergh era, Matt, of a wealthy family. Yeah. Then you add to it, he's in this plane in the Himalayas. He must have had a passport, um, and you definitely need to get fingerprinted for that. So maybe somebody could say, oh, there are ways around it if you have money. And you know, and there's always the catch-all of, well, this isn't our world, it's the MCU. Still, though, it's kind of like the iPhone stuff, and we saw it in Luke Cage as well. Don't show us things that look like our real world and then change the rules on basic things like how iPhones work or or just the notion the notion that a child, not even born into privilege, a child who's not born on the fringes has no kind of way to identify them 15 years later, whether it's whatever it is. I just have a slightly hard time believing that. But... Pete, the story must be what the story must be. And uh, Danny gives some more info about their shared past. Ward was a bully. Dan shows him what, uh, Danny shows him what it was like. Uh, he speeds towards the, the wall of the rooftop garage. He flickers again, signaling a flashback, but perhaps more. And uh, indeed, we see his mother die in flashback. A rather, rather vicious moment as the top of the plane is ripped off and mom is pulled out. But uh, with that, Danny expertly crashes into the side of the uh, the wall with the side of the car, thereby ending the scene. The one piece I want to point out prior to the, the car speeding business, the idea that uh, the things Danny tells Ward that only Danny would have known about being locked in the freezer of the, the Rand cafeteria 
about the dead frog and the sandwich, indeed, even about the uh, kicks in of the crotch, that uh, none of that happened, that this is a he said, he said situation, and without any proof, the rational people are going to side with Ward. And this behavior that Danny's exhibiting, especially given the end of this episode, only supports the Meacham uh, explanation. Back in that park, Pete Big Al is there. He's brought Danny a chicken parm. It was thrown out at the end of the night by a really great deli on Bleecker. Pete, they just throw it away. Uh, Big Al here is the homeless philosopher. Uh, In the past, you know, thousands of years ago, we were hunter-gatherers tens of thousands of years ago. We lived until our 70s. Not quite sure about that, but fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we then built farms and cities, and it all went to crap. Big Al, he's an urban hunter-gatherer. Um, Danny hits him with a Buddhist quote, your purpose in life is to find your purpose. Pete, what was Danny's purpose? Uh, that, of course, Matt, would be to protect Kunlun from all oppression, to honor the sacrifice of Shu uh, Lao, the undying. And, uh, yeah, you know, no big deal. Just those things. I love Big Al's response. Okay, then, just remember to have fun along the way. I have to say, Pete, there are many times that we have seen uh, entire episodes, let alone scenes, where the scene kind of needs to stop because they did what they need to do, and it's slightly inorganic, like, okay, then, or just cut away or whatever. This was a totally earned way to say what you wanted to say, and the Big Al's just like, whatever. That's that's a whole lot. The end of scene. Um but the story moves on, Pete. We go to Colleen Wing's classily underlit studio. It's like Chicago Odojo. It's almost like Oscar-winning uh, cinematographer Guillermo Navarro has has been on the set to make sure that things look as artistically presented as possible. Regardless, Pete, she's wrapping up a lesson and easy exposition. Asks that her students hand out flyers and not come on Thursdays. That's when AA is here. They pay more than you do. Yeah, we really needed to drive home the point several times that uh, she's she's hurting, that the Chikara dojo is hurting for money here. Uh, Danny eyes through the door as everyone's leave, leaving. He comes in, he bows. Uh, he's not there for a lesson because $2 won't get him much except coffee down the street. Maybe a pair of flip-flops from one of the stalls again down the street. Like, get the point. She doesn't want him there. But uh, he wants to challenge her master. Pete, here I will take perhaps Danny Rand, not the show, because the show is setting up setting up a a straw man for us to knock down. But Danny assuming that she can't be the master. Uh, He does cite the rule, enter dojo, challenge the master. That's when she says she's the master and she declines. Boom. Um, He says that she should teach uh, Kung Fu instead. Kind of a little slightly white splainy lectury a little bit. That's not a yellow alert. Definitely a yellow yellow flag in, in the hand there. Uh, for me she declines though she continues to ask him a few times to leave uh he wouldn't want to feel a practice sword to the face even though pete he has felt it before of course matt danny has felt the sting of a practice sword courtesy of master lee kun the thunderer but he apologizes here on the inconvenience she gives him a uh, a pair of flip-flops here he heads out sits on the sidewalk and puts them on. It's what you do in the city. We, we, we've seen tough cosplayers attempt to get around uh, New York City. So, some anime cosplay in um, New York City Comic-Con times, uh, trying to go several blocks barefoot. It never works out. And uh, <laughs> he, he puts them on there. No sooner does he put them on than the security guard from Rand uh, swings a baton over his head. Then there's one across the street with a gun. Uh, There's another one down the block. And I like that this doesn't become 
a repeat of the initial encounter in Rand Enterprises where I'll just dodge stuff and be kung fu-y. He knows these people are shooting at him. He doesn't have Neo Matrix powers. At least he doesn't reveal them here. He runs. He goes two stories up a wall and gets away. All of which, except the wall stuff, Colleen witnesses. Indeed, she follows for some reason. Although story-wise now has established, it's now been established that she knows he has mad martial arts skills. Um... With that, Danny makes his way uh, to an Asian festival parade. Uh, interesting that they don't show fireworks, which I believe I know were banned by either uh, Mayor Giuliani or Bloomberg. Um, I think Bloomberg, and I don't think have made a uh, have made a return. So they don't show them, but they're heard, which I thought was interesting. Uh, regardless, Danny uses that two dollars given to him by Colleen. Uh, finally, gets rid of it, buys an El Cheapo mask, which hides his face. Doesn't quite hide his shock of curly, dark blonde hair or his rather distinctive uh, shirt, but I digress. Pete, some of the, you're security guy number three and not Shannon for a reason. Uh, and that security guy number three walks right by him. Danny leaps out and takes him out. Uh, also want to mention, Pete, nice use of the bubbles as a visual element, kind of adding some, some beauty to what is otherwise a, a grim scene. And uh, that's about the time that Shannon attacks Danny, Pete. Yes, he sends him down the basement there. Little uh, bit of an interrogation. Who sent you? Uh, the arm pulled back there. Of course, he uh, buckles under the pain. He says, Ward Meacham. Danny knocks him out. There's a great shot back up on the street level of the anger on the bearded Rand's face. The lights, Colleen quickly glimpsed. And then we cut to Ward Meacham cutting his food. Indeed, stately Ward Manor, as you might say. Um, Ward is, uh, he's ready to chow down on some steak. Pete, that's probably steak that's cooked super well done and served with ketchup. And, and he gets the one-sided hands. call. What's that? And tiny hands. Uh, you said that, not me. <laughs> um, he gets uh, uh, the one-sided call from Shannon. Job not done with that word calls someone spoiler. It's dad uh, and says that they have a situation that needs discussing. Yes. And can wait until morning or at least that's what my notes say, Pete, but then he goes no, to an opulent art deco building. Are they going to have that meeting right now? Well, it is almost morning. It's, it's late and uh, we get the exposition from Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. It's almost midnight when he's <laughs> almost the, the loyal Kyle let off of work there, uh, but he loves his boss. He loves uh, Harold Meacham. So why take the day off when you can just start a new day right away? Um, but that discussion there before heading into this, you know, super secret situation where, you know, we're, we're, going uh, up elevators and hallways and then stairs and then hand scans and then up another elevator to wind up in really kind of this private residence. There's uh, a, a heavy boxing bag. There's that male receptionist, Kyle, as we mentioned before. And so that we're clear, the, uh, the dialogue lets it be known, Matt. Hi, Dad. Who points out that the Chinese Yuan okay, is going to drop here. It's going to affect their expansion in China. Of course, Harold uh, wants his son Ward to take care of it. You know, better than like he's taking care of that Danny Rand situation. For all the supposed uh, lousy dramatic storytelling that some of the critics would have you believe this whole portion here where where the story takes the time to show you having Ward enter this opulent building and all these twists and turns that you recapped, Pete, I, I as an audience member, rather like it that as, as opposed to Ward pulling up to, you know, Hideaway Beach, a hideaway company, or, you know, something like that where it's the big vault door. The fact that it's just a really nice building with an elevator, then he has to, and all of that, which I won't recap. 
I like that they are showing us without having characters all the time going, gee whiz, you know, dad is at the secret hidey place. Let's go get him. I like that they just show it and let you kind of let you kind of witness it in it, in its own reality. Um, regardless, though, that they, uh, as we kind of, I'll kind of fast forward here to get us back to Ward and uh, Harold speaking. Um, I like how they show off here the different portions of, of Harold's home, what I'll call Harold's home. Um, the, the different corners of it really displayed nicely. And um, then Harold has them consider what if it is actually Danny? If it is, then they can't let him go public. Further, does that mean that his parents are alive? Lots of questions to be answered as Harold continues to walk around that room showing off the set. And uh, all these questions show why an idiot can't be sent to beat him up. It requires finesse, like always. Gee whiz, Pete, this sounds like a loving father who probably <laughs> really didn't like to spend much time with his uh, with his son when his son was a boy. Uh, I guess I guess we'll see if that was the case with Joy later on. Well, remember, it was uh, Harold who was being quoted earlier by his son, Ward, uh, about, uh, you know, what uh, what type of soft people, uh, you know, how they react. But anyway, it's really interesting to note the periphery of what's going on with Harold, apart from the questions that it brings up about his existence in pondering Danny's possible existence beyond, of course, the disappointed in uh, Ward situation, expecting more from him all the time. The really interesting aspect that he's taken a lot of what Wendell did, what Wendell Rand uh, taught him that you hire young people, that uh, you get them before they've had families. You you have them commit uh, to what you're doing. You build around them. You pay them twice what they're worth. You you get this, you know, ironclad loyalty. Um, but uh, Harold's never felt better here for a guy who supposedly died at 41 of cancer. Interesting. Um, and all of those questions that come about, apart from his uh, admonishment that his son pay attention to the first rule of war and business, know your enemy. Um, but Ward lies to him. They have not talked when they actually have. Nothing about what took place in the car there. Nothing about him knowing details somebody could not have gotten off the internet unless the younger Rand kept a blog and talked about that time he was stuck in the Rand freezer and almost ate a frog at a uh, company picnic. But again, the he, he might have had a MySpace, Pete. That's why I'm throwing it out there. Young Danny my, Rand could have had a MySpace. Listen, he's high up enough that you know maybe he knew a a, a young uh, Zuckerberg. Who who knows, man? Who, Early access to the Facebook the when it was Facebooks, the the man at at ten. Okay, um, but you know, it's all about the timing here. And it's trickier if it is Rand, Matt, though it's impossible. Boy, corporate synergy, Netflix, stranger things, <laughs> Matt, Harold notes have happened, of course, and are available all eight episodes of season one on Netflix. But we digress. <laughs> uh, they can't let him go public. Those other questions, are the parents still alive? What does he know? Who has he told? How did he learn martial arts? And with that big boxing bag hanging there in the background, why has he waited so long to show up? And what does he want? This is why you can't, son, send an idiot to beat the S5 in this episode, Matt, out of him. It demands, again, that finesse and we get back to danny here uh with uh son and father ward reaching that tentative understanding danny outside of big al's tent can't seem to find him wonders if he's awake finds him over by the tree here 
uh, trees being very big in our Buddhist uh, culture that we're uh, at least referencing. Checks for a pulse, he sighs, there is none. There is, of course, a needle in his left arm. He covers the body, and then he utters a saying here, um, that as long as the cycle of existence lasts, may your happiness never decline. May you attain the constant joy of the bodhisattvas. But uh, he notes, too, on that very same left arm, there is an eagle tattoo. The next day at Rand HQ, uh, Danny somehow is entered again. I, I suppose he could slip by looking a little less bedraggled. Uh, he takes the down escalator, though. Uh, however, in a, in a quick cut later, ends up in Joy's office, which we know is on the 45th floor. He knows all the ins and outs of the building, he explains, and that certainly makes sense to us. He tells Joy that Ward tried to have him, Danny, killed last night, and Joy seems willing to listen. Um, Pete, we we podcast enough TV to usually smell <laughs> a, 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 a Chekhov's gun ready to fire a, a ticking time bomb a setup um as she caringly gets him water at some point here it's not even in check, my notes check when she gets tea? Him the water check off's tea it is it is so kind of effortless and and, and under her veil of niceness that, that i have to say really nice subtle job um she says that she hears shannon and two other guards came after danny but the company's blameless probably shannon that that shannon that rascal uh acting on his own Joy says that Ward is black and white, whereas Joy is more open, more willing to listen. Yeah, we see that. Pete, I was feeling it. I had no idea that she was scheming, even at this moment. Uh, we get the line, the Zen saying, if you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions. Watch Iron Fist for yourself. <laughs> um, and now she's ready to answer his questions, but but she wants to ask some as well. Danny explains that they were in a jet over the Himalayas. Things went bad. It's kind of an odd moment. We're not shown it because we've already seen it. But since we've already seen it, so why kind of cover it now? Uh, regardless, though, Danny is finishing his drink. And now it's clear that that he is drugged. And I like that he's sluggish before he does the requisite. Ack! My drink! My drink look! Ack! I think um, it's particularly effective here, though, given we've seen him PTSD twice before is that this and the close-up of the hands twice and and at one point almost like is is this something danny did when they knew one another the way he's clasping his hands oh no these are the drugs taking effect i really like the writing and and how that was sold there uh regardless he says you and then it's totally clear that he's, he's been drugged. There's a point of view shot of Joy looking over him, as is Ward, who also joins the shot. Flash again, same camera position of two monks standing over Danny, presumably after the crash. Then we have a quick flash to two hospital workers standing over him. He is clearly being, uh, being kept down, uh, of of questionable will here uh and comment is made that he's uh he needs to be let uh to sleep again they're, they're putting more drugs in his system pete not looking good for danny rand the bed restraints suddenly visible um we have voiceover again of uh wendell telling him it's just turbulence it's gonna be okay uh danny is hit by something from above, Heather gets out of her seat uh, to comfort her son now with uh, the the blood above his eyes there. The plane opens up. She's sucked out. Uh, Dad, um, Wendell says he loves Danny before the plane vanishes into the mist of the Himalayas. And suddenly we have that establishing shot again in the snow the headphones visible there, Matt, of the iPod. So fresh and so clean, clean. Not so quite. Sparring partners, where we look at the villains of this episode. First up, Matt, 
that, of course, would be Ward Meacham. Certainly the, the, the biggest, the baddest so far. Uh, Jersey-born Tom Pelfrey, certainly rocking the bad guy vibe there with the, the unlikable, seemingly irredeemable Ward Meacham. Uh, just bad, bad news through and through. The slicked back hair, the the mannerisms, the shortness, uh, the hubris, Matt. It's the total Wall Street bro attitude. We've seen him in our current time. We've seen him as a kid. We don't like him anywhere. It won't remain that way. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I-, I doubt that the show was going for as much meta commentary as one could now have, uh, considering production wrapped in October. And, um, shall we say probably most people in the production weren't expecting what happened the following month. Uh, but let's talk in the MCU Pete, let's talk in MCU New York. You thought that you had taken down the, the biggest baddie that there was with, uh, with Fisk in daredevil. Shh, we and don't I say like, his name. Oh, with, Still. with Mr. F. Um, I like that there is this reminder, you know what, the weeds continue to grow and, uh, and, and it appears that the Rand company is doing just fine and things are on the up and up. But uh, darn it, Pete, you know, the, the baddies are still there and they're in their suits and in their, their big black towers. He's the type of guy that we can easily imagine existing in both of these universes in ours in theirs where it overlaps and you put him seemingly at the head of this company come to find out of course he's getting his orders from elsewhere but given his hesitance to tell his father uh what really took place between him and Danny when they did meet that uh, he sees himself not as the prince, but as the king. Everybody wants to be the king, Matt, and have a biggie photo. (laughs) Next on the list certainly must be Joy. It seemed that uh, she was going to be uh, the more thoughtful, the more sympathetic one, the the, the more, uh, dare say, maternal uh, Pete, we were wrong there. We were wrong to gender type that. She seems as bad through and through, uh, just with uh, with slightly uh, more intelligent and slightly um, softer means, but certainly means that are, quite frankly, more effective than that of her brother who sent three security guys. She sent a cup of tea and got better results. Yeah, this uh, babe in the woods act, at least in that final scene, Um, she, she was tough on Danny when it seemed, uh, apparent to her that he had broken in. And again, these children of a super rich businessman and the parallels we draw to our world. Um, I just hope we don't find out that Nordstrom has canceled her, uh, you know, her clothing line. Moving on, Pete, we can certainly agree that uh, in the in the MCU, uh, it's precious few people who know that Harold Meacham is still alive. I continue to be so happy to see David Wenham on screen, albeit playing a bad guy. And uh, he certainly does bring a certain gravitas to the the role of the the sandy haired, uh, somewhat uh, somewhat maniacal uh, padre of it all. The presence of David Wenham, I, I don't think can be undersold. Uh, was a little worried when I first saw this episode that we would repeat the steps of the first couple Daredevil episodes that uh, just changing it up rather than we don't say uh, a kingpin's name. We have seemingly killed off um Harold Meacham, but he's still around, but we wouldn't see him here. We get him this first episode, really interesting to ponder what's going on. At least one other person other than his son is aware of his existence. We're going to look, of course, in uh, our theory segment at uh, what could potentially be going on there. But the, the, the gravelly 
uh, gravitas of uh, Wenham here as Harold, acknowledging what he was able to gain from Wendell and still wanting to keep Danny from uh, being able to claim any part of this expanding empire. It's delicious stuff. It's played deliciously and it tastes delicious, Matt. Time to focus our chi and look inside this episode. Pete, first up, as we weave this family web, do you think Joy knows the Harold situation? Does she know her pops is still alive? If you're going to go with direct text evidence, Matt, you'd, you'd have to say no. She's the one that uh, points out to Danny, well, our father's been dead for 12 years. But if we're going to infer from her behavior at the end of the episode where she is the one, maybe not with the idea, but certainly with the act in uh, poisoning uh, Danny, it's it's hard to believe that she wouldn't. And that's all I'm going to give you. Well, it, it kind of could cut both ways. And particularly the way the episode went with Joy here, you kind of don't know which end of the which end of the sympathy line the show is going to place her. Matt, I have one for you. Can Danny control animals? We saw the the bird, presumably an eagle. Later on, Big Al has an eagle tattoo. What's going on there? Well, I am at a loss when it comes to the eagle. I'll tell you that much. But I think that uh, direct evidence from the episode regarding um, the fact that he can perhaps control the slightly strong word, but certainly can um, can uh, communicate on some level with, with animals like that guard dog, whether it's just communicating a sense of calm, uh, whether it's something more mystical, you know, mind control or that sort. But uh, certainly we've seen here in, in what I might remind everyone for, for uh, the Defenders stuff on Netflix so far, it's been kind of light superpowers. You know, there's Daredevil's vision thing, which we only kind of see once. And we understand it's kind of chemically based. Luke Cage, strong. Jessica Jones, strong. And some flying. Um, point being... This is kind of the wait, first wait time. Wait a second. Uh, Kilgrave pheromones. <laughs> uh, my, my point being, it's all been kind of science based or it's all kind of been, you know, we have, we have pheromones, Pete. In fact, the ladies tell us plenty, but you know, but Kilgraves are jacked through the roof. It's kind of that science augmentation. Whereas this is like, I don't know. Is it that he has learned, you know, dogs like to be spoken to between 330 and 360 kilohertz. So if you say, you want a ham sandwich or whatever it is, they're just going to like the <laughs> just sound like of it. like that. You want yeah. a ham sandwich. <laughs> yeah, but is it the tone? You know, is there the science answer or is the mystical answer? I can only assume that's where we are. That's where we are headed to learn, uh, to learn about in the future. But for the time being, yes, he has some control over animals. So you don't think he's a warg? I, I, I can say definitively, I do not believe him to be a warg. Okay, because that would put him in a, in a different uh, medieval uh, non-Earth universe anyway. <laughs> My last one for you, Matt. Given the way the episode ends, given those, uh, those edges that we get, uh, which I referred to as, as comic in nature, you took a more clinical episode-y uh, take on them uh, is Danny mentally unstable I think he is definitely meant to be um, mentally simmering I I think we all know people who have um, you know whether it's a temper or whether it's a, a predilection towards uh, towards drugs towards alcohol towards you know uh, physical things whatever it might be heck towards uh exercise whatever it is they have their thing that is their obsession and they need to keep it in check um 
I think he's that kind of guy who who has learned peace and who can practice peace 95% of the time, but the storm that's on the inside is is kind of raring to come out if he if he lets his guard down. And I think that the storm for him is not one of uh, you know, oh, I, I, I got to work to make sure I don't curse or I got to make sure I don't have chocolate chip cookies. I think it's, it, it, you know, it's a real instability, whether that is rage, whether that is regret, whether it is, you know, a true kind of mental health uh, deficiency. And um, I don't know. I think that uh, I, I think that we're going to see a darkness to him as time goes on. Let's listen to some messages from the mystical city of Kunlun. Pete, we have some tweets on the Twitter machine, people reaching out to us at Fantastic Geek. Uh, first one up, Pete, this was sent 12 hours ago, so we're talking the wee hours of the morn on the East Coast here. A uh, tweet from Devante Gordon, that's uh, Lycan Venom, and uh, he and I were chit-chatting uh, back and forth a little bit about... Uh, about that iPhone screen that doesn't seem to quite match up, including showing the time of 9.30 a.m. Uh, oh, sorry, I take that back. It shows two times on there, which uh, which gets to Devante's point. This is the scene where I was talking about. Uh, he was refer referring to a, a screenshot I posted where Big Al searches the web for news on Danny's past with his photo app. Oops, <laughs> we caught you. We Sorry. Um, so good, good, uh, conversation there with Devante. Uh, also a tweet from our pal, Mary Kirk, that's at geek Kirk, uh, settling in this morning to watch uh, iron fist. She says, hashtag iron fist begins now. Um, we also have some feedback from, uh, ink says that's Moturo owls, uh, on, uh, on Twitter. And, uh, he says, uh, in response to the idea that uh, the news was broken by the uh, the New York Bulletin, he's surprised that the Daily Bugle didn't break the news. Hashtag MCU, hashtag Iron Fist, hashtag Spider-Man. It is nice to have the Bugle back, isn't it, Pete? It is. Lastly, uh, had some info there, as I mentioned before, from Diane Dunham. That's Purple D 54 on Twitter, uh, who uh, she says that she was not footprinted at birth, but her husband was, so uh certainly glad to glad to see the seam between the real world and uh and the mcu from our uh, from our listeners and our pals on the twitter thanks again for reaching out and certainly between email between twitter between getting in touch with us on facebook one other way to uh get your words on the podcast leave us a review on itunes we don't quite have enough because we have a fresh feed for every uh marvel show that we podcast we don't have enough reviews yet where we're showing up with a a uh, a rating we need at least one more as we're recording this right now to to get us to three uh so you could be that person to push us over the top could be good could be bad i mean we'd like it to be good but you know what you don't like this podcast you deserve to at least tell other people about it. Pete, we want to remind our listeners the schedule that we will be keeping for Iron Fist, uh, certainly for the remainder of this month until Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. comes back. Every Monday, every Wednesday, every Friday, we're going to be back talking the next episode of Iron Fist. You can watch with us. You can rewatch with us. We'll be we'll be talking them talking about them uh, fresh, uh, so no spoilers for the future. And um, certainly excited to dig into this show, Pete. All day, I've had a smile on my face. While this isn't the most amazing pilot I've ever seen, this is a a, a very solid kickoff to what I'm hoping is going to be quite the journey on Iron Fist. I don't think it's ever as bad as critics might make something out to be, uh, especially in a TV sense where they've not seen again the entire thing. It's it's different with a movie, you know. Last year, the the just the critical collapse of a Batman v Superman, and you know, despite well, it can't be as bad as it was. I think a lot of people can say, "Wow, you know, it was worse." Um, this is nowhere near as bad as some of those reviews that you read. 
Well, we would love to hear what you, dear listeners, are thinking about Iron Fist as we make our way through it. Let's talk some contact info. Pete, how can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,070 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, please do be in touch with the podcast. We are Fantastic Geek. That is Fantastic with the P-H. And you can find us on FantasticGeek.com. Leave a comment there. Tweet at Fantastic Geek. Send an email to FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Uh, or find us also on Instagram under Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, you mentioned the Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H all one word like it today be a part of what we say pete we will be back in uh, just a few short days for episode 102 of iron fist so with that i will say goodbye to all our listeners and give you the final word as long as the cycle of existence lasts may your happiness never decline